This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. I have another great guest for you folks today, another Illyrian friend, Jody McVitie. Jody McVitie is the co-founder and now the strategic advisor for Sound Discipline, a nonprofit working with schools, youth programs, and parenting educators to teach tools to foster dignity, respect, and equity in our communities. She first received her medical degree from Case Western University and completed a family medical medicine excuse me, residency and fellowship before shifting her focus to the broader community issues that impact health outcomes, including parenting, education, trauma, and the impact of intra-family violence. She is a lead trainer for the Positive Discipline Association and co-authored Positive Discipline in the School and Classroom. She's consulted for dozens of schools locally and internationally, including trainings in Nicaragua in Spanish, for First Nations communities here in uh, Northern British Columbia, and for the School of the Deaf. Jody is also the mother of three now adults uh, who have been some of her best teachers. I'm going to attest to that with my own kids. When she's not working, you'll find her in the garden, roaming the mountains or on the lake rowing. Hello, Jody. Hi, Allison. <laughs> so good to reconnect. We had a bit of a catch up before hitting the record button here for everybody else. But gosh, we, we go back a long way. And I'm, I'm sorry it's taken us so long to get back in touch. But this is so great that you're offering up your time today. I'm delighted to be here. Let people know where where they have found you. You're not in Toronto, Canada with me. You're on the other side of the coast. No, I'm in, in currently drizzly Seattle, Washington. 
currently drizzly. I thought it was always fairly drizzly. No. And the, and, it, and it, the sun is peeking out maybe this afternoon. We'll see. Okay, good. So sound discipline, isn't that a bit of a play on words for, for a Puget sound? Or, or am it I con- is a little bit of a play on words. Um, it's partly Puget sound and it's partly sort of solid firmness without meanness. You know, it's just solid was the big idea. And we're in, in the process of a name change right now because this the word discipline is actually hard for some people. Some people think it needs to be there and some people think it brings forward memories of painful events in their own life. So we're in the process of changing our name. Wow. And language is so super important. It's interesting that you say that even as we try to define ourselves and and the methods that we teach and trying to differentiate ourselves from, you know, soft parenting, dolphin parenting, um, uh, gentle parenting, uh, child forward parenting. I don't know. There's a million different names and brands. It's re- I, I can see why it would be so complicated for a new mother to try to find her way through to, uh, you know, who, who's teaching what, where, when. Um, right. But, uh, you know, we have these Adlerian roots. And, and I, you mentioned that that, that firm, firm and friendly is sort of our, our thing. Yeah. And we use, actually, we use the language now connected firmness, because one of the most important things about human beings, and and this is Adlerian too, is that we're, our, our life is movement toward a sense of I belong, which is all about connection. And I matter, which is really about contribution. And so this connected piece is really important in any kind of teaching our kids is how do we get connected first And then if behavior needs to be shifted a little bit, like sometimes it does, then we can teach a little bit. But the connection is the most important ingredient. Why is this thing, in in your humble opinion, why is it that if we are wired to be social creatures, why do we still have such a challenge with this? Why isn't it just not so darn intuitive? Isn't that an interesting question? I, I don't know the answer to that. I actually think it is intuitive. And that we somehow get trained out of it, that we get acculturated out of it, especially especially nowadays. We're really focused on adults are often focused on their work. They're focused on doing, they're focused on producing. And we've become more transactional and less relational in the process. And in order to be relational, you know what you have to do? You have to slow down. And especially with social media and all the things that maybe even in the last 20 years and computers, we, we haven't slowed down. <laughs> and so I think that we're losing it. And I think um, when I look at kids in school, like teenagers, they can be sitting across from each other and texting each other. And it's a different kind. It's not really as satisfying as the face-to-face conversation. And I think that there's another little element in here that is so important, especially for parents, is just the ability to notice where you are in your body. To notice, you know, okay, I'm really stressed right now, or wow, I can be relaxed right now because our kids need us to actually co-regulate them. Their brain is not as developed as our brain. The part of our brain that really helps us regulate and be aware and connect with other people is that's the prefrontal cortex kind of right up behind your your eyeballs. 
And that takes 25 years to develop. So kids are actually borrowing our brain as they grow up. And if we're really stressed, their brain gets wired to be more stressed. So our job as adults with young people is to really be as present in the moment as we can. That's not so easy given all the pressures that adults have right now. And you know, there's huge room for forgiveness. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, I don't think it's great to be a perfect parent, but being able to regulate yourself and really be present with your child is what teaches them to be relational too. Relational versus managerial, you know, we're such taskmasters. Yeah. We think we're given this like, you know, if you're going to raise a kid, they got to be on extracurriculars and they got to get the A report card or you're not being a whatever, you know, and we get so lost that the doing versus the being, it's so true. So how do we incur, I mean, it's more than self-care. These are skills. We're talking about skills. We're talking about the science of the fact that these brains interact with one another. They need each other for co-regulation. So, you know, which I think should replace the word self-regulation. Mm-hmm. It'll come. Uh, we co-regulate. So how, what's the skill set? Even if a parent is is hearing this and saying like, yeah, that's a good thing. I should get on board. Like it's still a skill set, is it not? It is totally a skill set. And I think that in order to, you know, there's a saying that Bruce Perry uses that you, an escalated adult cannot de-escalate an escalated child. So when your child is escalated, you cannot de-escalate them if you are escalated. And um, Allison, you know the brain in the palm of the hand, right? Dan Siegel's work. I, right? I love it. I love it. You've talked about it and we're on podcasts, but people can just make a fist with their hand and imagine it's their brain and the base of their wrist is like their brain stem and the thumb in the middle is the limbic system in the middle, memories and emotions. And then where the fingernails are is the prefrontal cortex. So what's really interesting is it takes some time for the signals to process through the prefrontal cortex. So if you're walking through the woods and the bear comes out at you, your brain is not going to say, hmm, I need to think about this. How do I feel? Am I stressed or not feel? That part of your brain actually goes offline. And if you're sitting at home, you can open your hand and, you know, we call that flipping your lid. And so kids do that all the time. We do that all the time. And back in the nineties, there were these scientists in Italy who discovered something called mirror neurons. So mirror neurons basically help us learn. So if you take a newborn baby and stick your tongue out three times, if the baby's awake, that assuming the baby's awake, they'll stick their tongue out three times because we're wired to copy, but we're not just wired to copy what we see people doing. We're also wired to copy how we feel people being. So that's why an escalated adult can't help an escalated child. But what an escalated adult can do is notice that the child's escalated and go, whoa, child just flipped their lid. It's inviting me to feel afraid, afraid that they're going to hurt something, afraid, or it's bringing back memories that I wasn't even aware of, but it's inviting me to be escalated too. And then we're old enough that we can say, whoo, take a breath and just put all of that aside for a minute to notice and be present with the child and not, you know, fake calm, like, oh, I'm going to be calm, but, but just really try and calm yourself down. And that takes practice. And we forget, you know, just like when we learned our math facts, it took practice. You know, we didn't just learn two plus two is four in one day. We practiced and practiced and learned a variety of math facts. And you need, as adults, we need to practice going, oh, I notice 
in my body. I know the symptoms. I know that my fists get tight or my chest gets tight or my head starts to whatever it does because all of us are different. And that's a signal to say, well, I need to take a breather here and I need to be present for my child because the only way they're going to de-escalate successfully is we can de-escalate. And that's just, that's biology. That's the interesting thing. No one's taught me that when, you know, my kids are now in their thirties. No one taught me that, but it's really interesting with my grandkids to just notice if, if they're upset, if I can just sort of not match them at their height of, you know, stress, but kind of be the rug under them. If I can just say, okay, I need to be the rug. I need to be their solid ground. I need to be the place that they can come to for security in this moment. And maybe I have judgments that this stress is out of proportion to what happened. They're just disappointed because they didn't get their ice cream before dinner, whatever. I can still just say, yeah, I can connect it firmness. You are so disappointed. It's a bummer. And you can have your ice cream after dinner. And it's that lowering the voice and slowing down. It's not going to fix their disappointment. And disappointment's okay. But it gives them a resource for the future. It's a different kind of teaching. How do we get a parent who to, to, to give that a go when the script in their head from their upbringing or their past is good God, it's just a damn ice cream. Why do I have to put up with this crap? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I worked hard all day and I need to put up with this, you know, because a lot of it is, is um, uh, the scripts in the adult's head of, of judgment and intolerance and reading into the situation, a completely different narrative. Yeah. Um, it's so true. And I've been there. I remember, you know, working as a family doc and I was just exhausted at the end of the day. And I would come home and the kids, they'd sort of want to climb all over me. Right. They wanted things they wanted, they wanted, they wanted, they wanted. And I almost, it's like I gave at the office. I didn't have much to give. And I needed to cook dinner too, darn it. And um, I just remember one day I noticed and just thought, oh, you know, this is about my sense of I belong and I matter. And what they really need from me right then is they need to know that I they belong and matter to me. And so I totally shifted my practice. The first thing we did is we made sure in the morning that there was a snack so that they had a snack before dinner so I could I could delay dinner. And the next thing I did is every time I came home, I just dedicated the first 20 minutes to them. And we would play games. I mean, the favorite game they called Love Trap Monster, where they would come running at me and then I'd catch them and they couldn't get, you know, they'd have to say, I love you, mommy. And will you please let me go for me to let them go? And they would play that for 15 minutes. But what happened then is that I got connected with them. They got connected with me. And then I cooked dinner in peace. It was so fascinating. It makes total sense, doesn't it? We need to know we connected. We need to know we belong. And I needed to just stop the routine and get creative about if this behavior is going on, often it's a way of saying, I need to belong. I need to matter. It's like, it's like the little, the little ohm chant we need to say in our heads so that we can change the story of the interpretation of, of what's going on. And to your point, 15 minutes of, 
a little rough and rumble if it buys you the rest of the evening of plugged in kids who are cooperative and not pulling on a pant leg and having a hissy fit. Isn't that <laughs> worth the 15 minutes and the restructuring of a little bit of your evening time? Well, not only that, the thing that came clear to me is that I needed it too. I was just on full bore ahead. I wasn't pausing to notice that I needed to connect to them too. That was good for both of us. It's, it's so interesting to think about it. You know, I think about the other, the other image that comes out is sometimes, you know, in the morning is a really classic time, right? Everybody's got to get ready for school and people, the adults want to go to work. And it's like, let's get this show on the road. And then you find like one of the kids puts the brakes on, right? It's just like everything is, then everything gets, then everything gets really messy. And the image that came to me one time is that if we don't connect enough in the morning, they feel like they're a piece of roll-on luggage. And, and we're dragging the luggage around, right? We're working hard to drag the luggage around and they just put the brakes on which of course makes us turn around, attend to the roll-on luggage, but wouldn't it be better if we got up 15 minutes earlier, took care of ourselves first so we had our needs met and had a little more spaciousness in the morning. And then our kids don't feel like roll-on luggage and then they can learn how to be effective getting ready for school people. But they can't, if we're going, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, or look at your routine chart or look at this. We just, we need to connect first. Then we can actually have some expectations. That just, when you're saying, look at your routine chart, like you can just show the parents like, but I'm doing a technique. I have my routine chart. But to your, <laughs> but to your point, that's managerial, but not relational. Like, right. Great idea. Great idea. But not self, not, not, it's a, uh, uh, necessary, but not oh, sufficient, but not necessary, necessary, but not sufficient. It's great, yeah. but it's it's not enough, right? It's, it's right. the emotional you, piece. You, you know, the, the other thing that's so interesting is if we think about the difference between management and leadership, sometimes we are managing our kids and really you manage things and you lead people. So what does it take to be the leader of your family? Because that's what we're talking about. It takes really, you know, your kids are, they can be your greatest teachers. They really can. They put you in uncomfortable situations all the time. And you, you can look and say, wow, what am I learning here? What is there for me to learn about me here? And part of you is going to go, I don't want to learn that <laughs> right now. I don't have time for that right now. But there is an opportunity if we, if we become a little bit more reflective about our parenting practice and what, even if you do it at night afterwards and go, oh, what? That didn't feel very good. What part of it was mine and what part of it was theirs? And, you know, how can I, how can I be a better person? There's so much opportunity with kids to help us grow. They can be our teachers. I remember, can I share one more story? Oh, please. Yeah. So this is when my kids were teenagers and we were all in the van coming home and something was not right. And there was bickering in the back and I was bickering with them and, you know, they got out of the car and slammed the door and I stayed for a minute and I went, well, that did not go well. And then I realized really it was largely me. That was, you know, I kind of started it because I didn't do what I normally needed to do, which is just to pause for a minute, but I went right on speed ahead. And so um, having sat in the van and recognized my mistake, I went upstairs and knocked on one of my teen stores 
and I, and I, you know, just knock, knock, knock. And I heard from the other side, don't even try to apologize if, unless you're calm. <laughs> and I said in a very loud and annoyed voice, I am calm, <laughs> which obviously was not true, but it was just like, there's such opportunities. They, they see so much that we don't see that pausing and listening, you know, if I have a, a wish that I had when I, you know, that if, if, to be a better parent, if I could go back and take care of my kids when they were younger, I would have paused more. Do you think that's some of the quality when they talk about some of the gifts that grandparents bring to to taking a shift? I mean, obviously, you know, it's a different role and they get to go home at the end of the day. They get to kind of have all the fun without <laughs> some of the uh -huh. other burdens or whatever. But isn't that part of the qualities that grandparents can really have, which is that, you know, we let's sure, let's stop and look at the mud puddle and let you jump in it. And I don't have to be there for exactly this time. And I've got yeah. all the time in the world to rinse your socks if they get muddy. And there's just a, they, 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 they do move at a different pace. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a different ability as I'm older and I have two grandkids, there's a different ability to be tuned in to the child because I don't have the same kinds of worries that I had when I was a parent of young children. So it's partly the pace, it's partly tuning in. And I think the other difference is when you're a parent, it can feel like you're all alone in this. And as a grandparent, you're clearly not alone. You're offering support. So there's something about offering support to my daughter that feels good for me. It was the kind of support I wish I had when I was a parent that I didn't have. And I think in our current culture, a lot of parents are doing it alone. And I don't think that's how parenting is supposed to be. I don't think it's a one-person job or a two-person job. I think that really we need communities to raise kids. And, I, oh. and we don't have that structure right now. Grandparents are important. Cousins are important. Neighbors are important. And I think parents feel like they have to make they have to make their child the best. And it's their job to create this human. The truth is, the human's already there. The human has an internal compass, and it may not be the same as your internal compass. And um, clearly, you need to lead and offer the kids some skills help them to self-regulate, help them to think about what they're doing, help them to be kind, help them to learn how to be generous. But we do that mostly by modeling, not by direct teaching. Because if they see that we're generous and that we have friends, then they will learn how to do it. We don't have to teach that so much. Yeah, the, the show that. Yeah, I, I think this, this uh, you know, 1950s version of the nuclear family was just uh, glorified. And, and yet there's nothing really in research that says that that's healthy, useful. <laughs> you know, it's just this, this yeah. fiction we need to let go of. Um, which is why I'm so fascinated that you have taken your work to the community level. Like you've done so much work with schools and, and my first training too is in, in nursery schools. And I remember uh, Althea, my teacher, always talking about the power of the group. You need to use the power of the group. It's never, yeah. when we would have trouble with the child, she would say, it's not, it's not just you and the child, it's the classroom and the child. It's the power. It's we need yes. to integrate, we need to integrate this child into the whole and um, to move out of the dyad and into the, the fuller spectrum. And you, you move, whole schools in, in over years yeah. of training. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I sat in a second grade classroom in March 
where um, this is a classroom that had been very chaotic. There's a it's a there's pretty high trauma in the community, and so the kid behaviors were I would say less than ideal, and um, the teacher actually was totally overwhelmed at the beginning of the year and just like this is my last year teaching I can't do this anymore and she got the kids to build a community and they now hold regular class meetings led by a second grader and you would never know walking into that classroom that the a degree of mischief that happened in September you would never know because the kids are calm and they're helpful not hurtful totally listening to each other they care about each other and that is healing for the teacher. You know, she she's she loves these kids. She always loves her kids, but these kids are really connected. And so it's easier. They're collaborating. They're her allies. She's she's really leading them, not managing them, right? Because they're they're taking care of each other. She says, I work so I'm not working nearly as hard as I used to. I am now a teacher. I can teach, but the other stuff that used to take so much energy it's gone. And again, it's these Adlerian um, class meetings where kids are really learning the skills about how to listen to each other and how to make mistakes together and how to help each other and how to repair mistakes. It's, it's incredible. And they're eight years old. It seems to me you had some research and um, I don't know if you can pull this number off the top of your head because I didn't prepare you for this question, but, um, but it was about percentage of time that a teacher spends in a classroom on correction management versus actually teaching core curriculum because these kids haven't been trained. Was, was that your reason? No, I don't have that data. Oh, okay. They do spend a lot of time if you go and watch and it's not only is it the time, it's exhausting. Yeah, they're busy playing whack-a-mole with behavior when the kids can actually handle it themselves. And the other thing that's really interesting is there is data from the medical research, the Dr. Vince Folletti's data from the ACEs study that shows that resiliency, you know, our ability to heal and navigate some of the hard things that came to us in this life. Resiliency comes from the deep belief that you matter to another human being. And so basically the teachers are now interrupting cycles of trauma that has started in the community. And instead of this vicious cycle of trauma happening over and over again and being repeated at school and then being repeated with their children and then their children repeat it with their children, the schools are now interrupting this cycle because the kids have a little bit more self-awareness and they really feel like they belong in matter and their health outcomes, actual health outcomes are going to be better. That's just mind boggling to me. Well, I think Adler was one of the first social psychologists or social public health. You know, if you're if you want to heal the individual, you got to look at the whole community and see what's going on there. And to see school is not just the delivery delivery service of academia, but to be uh, a part of forming the next community that's going to go out and support the community. We're people building. We're people building. It's not, it's not just trigonometry. It's people building. Right. right. And, and I think that's more apparent now than ever because of COVID kids lost a lot of their social skills and they're struggling to come back into the classroom and learn. And there are groups of schools that are saying, okay, well, we need to really press the learning, skip the social skills. But the truth is, they can't learn as well without the social skills that when you look at the brain science, when you feel safe, when you feel like you matter, and when you feel connected, you have a bigger working memory. 
So upfront investment in these social skills actually promotes academic learning. We're working with one school that had over, when we look at their pre-COVID data to after COVID data, they have an 80% reduction in out of school suspensions. Wow. Yeah. Why? Because the kids learned to regulate. And when we took a tour, I was there in March as well. And we took a tour, we walked through the building. Maybe this was in February, actually. Um, we walked through the building. We come to this little blue room that's got a little beanbag chair on the table and a small desk. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this is where they bring the kids who are really dysregulated. And the principal says to me, this is what we call our blue room. And I'm sort of getting anxious inside. She says, we used to use this for kids who are dysregulated. We probably used it at least once a week. We haven't used it all year. And that's in the time of COVID. Wow. That they, sorry, they've, they've created a school climate. You walk into the building and it feels different, but the big shift was when they helped kids be able to name their feelings and really focused on self-regulation. And now they have more time to teach and now they can really bring in innovative academic programs because the classrooms are, are good. That doesn't mean that's perfect. There, you know, there are still kids who have bad days and there are teachers who have bad days. Like we're human together. And this messy humanness is still accepted. So when a kid has a bad day, the rest of the class doesn't explode like popcorn. It's just like, oh, you know, Jeremiah is having a bad day. We can we can solve that problem. How do it's they amazing. teach? How do they teach the kids? What's their pre- preferred method for teaching self-regulation for for children? Well, we use the positive discipline curriculum, so they're using the positive discipline curriculum, and they also use some second step. And um, so the feelings lesson that they did is from the positive discipline curriculum. They also have these. Um, they're helping kids use short self-regulation activities that the kids teach each other or that they practice regularly, like before every transition or after transitions to kind of calm back down. And those cards that they're using are available for free on the Sound Discipline website. And I can provide you with the link to those. Yeah, we'll put them in the show's notes. So so you download the cards and what would be an example of something that the card would say? Like, how, tell me a little. So one is um, that a lot of them are visual, but one of them is called finger breathing. So I'm holding up my hand, palm open, and you breathe in as you tr- with the other hand, you trace up your thumb and breathe out as you go down your thumb and up as you go up your finger and down as you go out down your finger. And so you can go all the way to the end, breathing up and down really nice and slowly, breathing in and then out. Because the the biology is that when we breathe in, that's what we do when we're excited or scared. And when we breathe out, it actually slows our heart rate and activates what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us to be more calmer. So this breathing stuff isn't just woo-woo magic. It's actually changes, changes your body. So that's one example. I, I just learned something uh, recently this year about the only place that the vagal nerve is exposed is this bilateral touching inside the ear. I've done this with some of my clients, cross-body touching of the ear on this certain pressure point or whatever, and, and doing a couple of deep breaths too. So there, it's interesting as we learn more about the science behind all of this and how we can use biology, not to hack it, but like, let's use what we know about how the body truly is going to respond to stress and right. get it out of a, a de-stressed 
state. And I think, you know, here we're teaching kids and they have true stress, just as valid as adult stress. Um, but I, I find with the adults, I think a lot of adults aren't even aware. Right. I, I, I'm not even sure they know that they're like nine out of 10 stress. Like maybe when they freak out and then they're like, oh, sorry, I'm carrying some stress. But I think we live so high in our heads. I don't think we do a body scan. I don't think we do a check. I think a lot of adults don't know the weight that they're carrying on their shoulders on a day. It's like we've acclimated, we've acclimated to being a, a, in a stressed state and don't notice it anymore. Right. And, you know, I think that that's really valid to notice because if we have a, if we were really relaxed and we think about sort of a graph where we're really relaxed, sort of the bottom of it, our picture, and then there's a line higher than that. That's where we, where we lose it, where we flip our lid. If we're really relaxed, we have a pretty wide resilience window, the space from our stress level to where we lose it. And when we're stressed, the space between our where we are at and our lose it line is very small. So if you as an adult find yourself kind of flipping your lid or losing it with your kids, you know your stress level is high. And the other interesting thing is that we sort of assume that that's what adults do, but kids carry a lot of stress too. And so you might think, well, that was just a little thing. Why did it bug him or her or them? It's because their stress level that day, you know, maybe something bad happened at school. Maybe there's something that's confusing. Maybe they got a tooth coming in. There's so many things that change stress levels that make us more vulnerable to not being our best selves by, you know, having us flip our lid. And, and really the practice is how do we, how do we begin to notice what it feels like to be calm? Because some of us have forgotten. Yeah. And, and kids do to your point there, if, if the mirror neurons are in work and kids are so socially sensitive, you yes. know, even though you say, oh, the kids wouldn't possibly know that my husband and I are going through, or my husband, my wife and I are going through a, 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 a patchy time in our marriage. I'm like, chances oh, yes, are, they <laughs> chances are they're picking up on some of that energy or, you know, um, they, 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 we are infectious. We are contagious, whether we put words to it or not. Yeah. They can't help but know something's up. Yeah. And that's confusing. And just the confusion is stressful. It's so much better to say, you know, we love you. We love each other. And every now and then adults end up having big problems to solve that are really stressful. And so just so you know, we're in the middle of a big problem that's stressful. And don't be confused by that. And we still love you. And we'll try and turn that off when we're with you. But you're going to feel some of it. And that's just the way it is. Then they can know, oh, I'm in the middle of a stressful situation right now. You know, if you're a fifth grade girl and your best friend said, I don't want to be friends anymore, that's really stressful. And you can begin to say, huh, I'm in the middle of a stressful situation right now. That's a very different space to be in than just confused and stressed and not have language for it. And it, it portrays the natural or natural is maybe not the word I want there, but um, the nature of life yeah. is that it will throw you some challenges and there will be problems to be solved and, um, and there will be ranges of emotions. And that's the, that's, that's 
living into the reality of being a social creature, right? That, that, uh, that is the course of life. And then we solve the problem and we move on and then we have a better day. And, uh, as opposed right. to everything's you know, unicorns and rainbows, and I'm going to make secrets about when things are bad and, and not as good as they should be and leave you questioning and wondering. Right. And you know, that whole idea of being able to navigate challenges and the roadblocks that come before a child in life, that's what we want them to learn. How can they learn it if we aren't transparent about what's going on? How can they learn? I remember the very first parenting class I took um, was taught by an Adlerian in Seattle. And our first homework assignment was to go buy a little pitcher so our kids could pour their own milk. And then to explain to them what we were doing and then make a mistake by pouring the milk next to the glass instead of in the glass and say, am I a mistake or did I make a mistake? And my kids said, ha, 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 you are a mistake, right? Which was <laughs> not so funny at the time. Smarty but, pants. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but then this part of the homework was to go around and announce our mistakes so I made a mistake and I'm okay was the language. And it took me really three weeks to be able to do that because in the family I grew up in, mistakes were dangerous. And so it took me a while, but now I can own my mistakes and solve them and repair them, which actually brings us closer together. So and that's it's hard. Goes, it goes back to that relational piece. Um, Absolutely. I was uh, uh, recently um, interviewing people about LGBTQ people coming out to their parents and being so worried about it. And it turns out the majority, for all the fear of coming out, that the bonds after were much stronger. It was a relationship improving um, uh, situation, you know, and being authentic, being real. It was full relational instead of holding back, you know, and uh, so... Um, yeah, sometimes things are trying and scary, but if, if we believe in the, the outcome of that, it's, it's worth the struggle for the, for the better gain in the long run, that long, well, long range parenting, right? Yeah. Assuming that the parents are um, open and accepting, which some are, most are, but some aren't. Some Just are not. It's that, true. Yeah. And sometimes it's legitimate to have a fear. And yes, yes. For your own safety. Yeah. Yeah, scary. And sometimes our kids grow up to be more mature than the parents because as you talk about an intergenerational trauma, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes the healing work hasn't yet been done in the parents and they are at the limit of their capacity and uh, kids sometimes do thrive and grow be beyond their parents. I know that's difficult for kids too. And difficult for parents. But <laughs> in, in remembering that those parents who we might say, you know, whose kids are sort of passing them up, their parents, they probably passed their parents up too, right? I know I watched my daughter be a parent and I'm going, oh my gosh, if I had had that skill when you were a kid, you would be a happier person probably. <laughs> she is so good at it. And it's really a delight to watch and realize, okay, so some of the pieces that I didn't like, I didn't pass down. So it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I can't, I cannot wait. For, not that I'm rushing anything if my girls are listening to this. <laughs> Take your time, do it in your own time. Uh, 
but I, but I am, I, uh, I think there's a certain gratification in, to your points, the, the culmination of all the, the work and energy and mistakes that we made. And I'm glad I wasn't perfect because I do think that's a pressure to put on kids like, oh my God, she was all that. And how can I ever be as good as that? And that's a terrible burden to pass on as well. But I am really curious to see you know, what they ingested, what they'll do differently, you know, what parts of the family values they'll pass on. Um, yeah, I think that's just a fascinating culmination of all the things that you do to, to launch these people into the world. So I'm, I'm super looking forward to being a grandma. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, stories. Yeah. Yes. Um, so let me give you closing words. Is there anything else in our conversation about, um, co-regulation, the importance of it, the, the relation piece over managerial leadership over managerial, um, you want to round out so that we don't have any omissions or. I guess the one thing I would say is that, um, sometimes our own voice about ourselves can be very critical. And that, you know, you might have a bad day and then feel really, really bad about it. Um, it's just that we have to be gentle with ourselves, just like we have to be gentle with our kids. And realize we're going to make mistakes. We can repair them with our kids. We can learn how to do more effective repairs. But we have to be kind to ourselves or, or, we can't, or our kids can't be kind to themselves. So I think it's really important just to take things step at a time and, and not be perfect and it's not your job to keep your kids happy. It's your job to just launch them into life and, and, and be kind to yourself. And I think that's hard for everybody. I think it's particularly hard for women um, in our culture to not try and do it right or, yeah. Yeah, I, I agreed. Um, and I, I, do you do any mindfulness meditation practices? Do you do the loving oh, yeah. kindness? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, first time people have to do the loving kindness um, meditation, they often get really weepy and held back when the person, you know, as you go from sort of wishing well to, to, you know, a, somebody you don't know or an enemy and you move it closer and closer in a more intimate relationship and then all the way down to, could, can you say those, can you wish yourself well? Mm -hmm. And it's uh, very interesting to see how that can just really crack into a lot of emotions for people as they practice it. But the, the research is in that we, when we continue to have those types of thoughts, mm -hmm. we do change our biology. We do take change our relationships. We do change the world. One, one thought at a time really does have an yeah. impact. Yeah. And I, I, the part of the emotion I think too, is that it's something that we long for so much. And some of us didn't get a lot of it in our own childhood. And, and that's a piece to bring into your children is how do you wish them well, besides just have a good day, which is sort of superficial, but how can you be present and say, have the child feel like they're really being seen? Because we all as human beings just long to be seen and be connected. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Little yeah. tiny practices. Don't take big bites, just tiny practices. Yeah, I love that. Oh, Jody, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I'm going to put the, um, the, uh, in the show notes, the, uh, ability to, to people to link straight through to get those downloadable cards and all the other resources that are on the, um, sound discipline, 
uh, site as well. So any other resources you want to send and share, I will put in the show notes and people can uh, get those great free resources. And thank you for all you do for, I mean, gosh, if I was to count the thousands of people over the years that you've taught and trained and then how it impacted their lives and all the students whose lives have been better, um, you, you have made a tidal wave over there on that side of the coast. I'm so, so happy to know you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's fun to reconnect, Allison, and and you're the tidal wave maker in Toronto. And <laughs> I'll go know. off this coast. You'll go off that coast. Right. We'll Here we go. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.